Let us turn back to the portion we've been reading, and let us turn to chapter 30, Exodus and chapter 33, and verse 18. And he said, and Moses said, Please show me your glory. These words in their context, and as the Lord enables us. The word glory, the literal meaning is heaviness. It's the sense of substantialness. He's calling for the unveiling of the radiance and splendor of God's status. You have it in the psalm, that I, thy power, may behold glory of thy face, as I have seen thee heretofore within thy holy place. That I, thy beauty, may behold one thing I of the Lord desired and will seek to obtain, that all days of my life I may within God's house remain, that I, the beauty of the Lord, behold me and admire, and that I in his holy place may reverently inquire. In order to have some sort of order about our discourse, we will follow the following sequence today in looking at this portion. First of all, Moses' request, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And then, secondly, God's uh, revelation of his glory to Moses on this occasion. And then, thirdly, God's revelation of his glory in the New Testament. And then finally and briefly on this, on this uh, God's revelation, God's future revelation of his glory to his people in heaven. Spending most of the time on the first two parts. First then, Moses' request, show me your glory. Now, it's a request that is very personal here to the exercised believer, which Moses was. And I've just quoted portions from the Psalms that would indicate the way that exercised believer will attend to this matter. The power, the wisdom of God the glory of his majesty. It was very personal to Moses because he had already experienced something of the glory of God. He had been up on the top of the mountain 40 days, 40 nights with the Lord. He had been accompanied by the 70 elders, but when it came to 
the ultimate peak of that mountain, he was alone with God. And we read in another portion later on that uh, he spoke with God face to face. So he had experienced something of the glory of God already. We believe um, that these um, experiences would be what we call theophanies or Christophanies, the appearance of God, the appearance of Christ uh, in human form before he had taken our nature in the miracle of the incarnation. There are several occasions when we find these theophanies or Christophanies throughout the Old Testament scriptures. But he had experienced something of the glory of God already. And yet, here he is saying, show me thy glory. And it shows us that the more that the believer, the exercised believer, uh, experiences of the sweetness of God's mercy, of the wonder of God's holiness, of the experience of God's presence with him, the more he will want of it. And that what we have in that psalm that I quoted already, that I, thy power may behold and brightness of thy face, as I have seen thee heretofore, heretofore within thy holy place. And notice within thy holy place, that was the public place of worship. And it's particularly there, not exclusively there, but particularly there, that we are to seek this presence, this sweet presence of the Lord with his people. So this is a personal experience native to the believer, native to the exercised believer, inhabited by the Holy Spirit, and this is the urge that must be with them to experience something of the glory of God's presence with them. Now, it was not just a personal thing with Moses. It was something that was of an official nature as well. He desired to see the glory of God as one who had been, who was a, a mediator between God and the children of Israel. Indeed, a type of the type of Christ as the mediator of the covenant of grace. He was a mediator between God and his people. Now, a mediator, as you know, he, media, he, he represents God to the people, and he represents the people to God. Well, Moses had already uh, been engaged in representing the people to God. He had been up to the top of the mountain already. And when he had come down, the children of Israel were in rebellion. They were in idolatry, led by Aaron and the worship of the golden calf. And God was angry. God was angry with his people. And threatened indeed to 
dismissed them. But Moses represented the people to God. And he represented the people to God by reminding God we speak these words in reverent form, I hope, uh, representing the people to God in the sense that if God were to dismiss the people now whom he had led out of the bondage of Egypt, the enemies would treat them treat him with contempt. They would say he just led them out of Egypt in order to get rid of them, in order to dismiss them from his presence. What sort of God is that? He was reminding God of his covenant with his people. And if they, if they were to do that, he would be breaking his covenant, something, of course, that God cannot do. And he was representing the people to God in that way. He had done that already. But there was the other side of the equation. He must represent God to the people. And there would be occasions in the future when the children of Israel would be rebellious. Rebellious, for example, with the manna. They got tired of it. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They were displeased with God's leadership. Well, he would need to be able to represent God to his people. And if he was going to represent God to the people, he must know his God more fully. And hence this request, show me your glory, show me yourself more fully, that I might be able to convince the children of Israel that you have claims upon them, claims out of your grace and mercy and holiness and goodness and covenant mercy. So he was to represent the people, he was to represent the people to God and notice it was on the basis of God's covenant faithfulness. And he was to represent later on God, God to the people, and again it would be on the basis of God's covenant goodness and mercy. But he must perform both sides of that mediatorial requirement that would be upon him. And therefore, particularly with the future in mind, and the rebelliousness of, his, of, of the children of Israel in the future, show me your glory that I might persuade them against their idolatrous, rebellious ways. Well, that's something of the request of Moses. It's got a personal aspect to it, as it must have in the life of every exercised believer. It has an official aspect to it in the sense that he was to be the mediator, indeed a type of the mediator of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that with the Lord Jesus Christ, he knows. He knows God through and through. He is God. And he knows man through and through because he is very man of very man also. 
But Moses was to be a type of that. And the type was never complete. He needed to be shown something of the glory of God. Secondly, God's revelation of his glory to Moses. Various aspects to this revelation that we must note. First and foremost, there was a preparation that was given to Moses to enable him to receive this revelation of God's glory. We read that he was to be put on the top of the rock and he was to be put indeed on the cleft of the rock. He was to be hidden, as it were, in the cleft of the rock. And is it maybe too fanciful? Anyway, I think it's not just too fanciful at all that this is speaking to us in type. That we must not only be in the that Moses must, as Moses was in the cleft of the rock, so we must be hidden in Christ Himself. No one can see anything of the glory of God who is out of Christ. We must be first in Him. We must be first in the cleft of the rock, and we must be exercised believers there. Outside of the cleft of that rock, that is Christ Himself. Yes, we shall see something of the glory of God if that's the way we end up. But it will be the glory of his justice in our damnation. We must be in Christ, hidden in Christ. That must be there before we see the glory of God in his mercy, in his grace, in his covenant goodness. Another aspect of the revelation that was given to him it was partial it was partial he was to see the back parts of the glory and also you noticed that when 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 the glory of god was passing by him the lord put his hand over him the lord doesn't have a hand but the word has got the scripture accommodates itself to our understandings it, So that he just saw a part, the back parts of the glory, when the hand was, as it were, taken away. There are at least two aspects to the glory of God. There's the essential glory, and there is what theologians call the ethical glory. And the essential glory has to do with, it pertains to the nature of God, to the existence of God, to the essence of God. And scripture tells us that no man can approach unto that essence of God, that essential glory of God. He dwells in unapproachable light is the way that we read it in 1st Timothy chapter 6 it's like looking to the Sun the Sun would blind us we are not able to look towards the Sun 
And just as that, as, as that is true physically, so it is true that no man can behold this essential glory of God. But just as with the sun, the nearer you come to it, you can feel its effects, you will be aware of it. Uh, so, so it is true here spiritually also. See, if you're, if you're in the tropics, you're nearer to the sun in a, in a sense, and you're more aware of its heat and light than if you are in this temperate uh, zones that we live in, or in the Arctic zones. The nearer you are to the sun, the more you are aware of its heat and light. So true, also, the more we are enabled to be brought close to that light of God's presence, the more we will be aware of his divinity around us. Come back to that in a minute. But that's the glory of his essence, this essential glory, unapproachable. But there are those who have been made aware of it. Jonathan Edwards, for example, on one occasion writing on horseback, was made so conscious of the essential glory of God, aware of it, not seeing it, but aware of it, that he had to ask the Lord, stay thine hand. The essential glory. But there's also the ethical glory. And the ethical glory pertains to his character. And that the believer, the exercised believer, is to see. That is what the Lord caused to pass by on this occasion. And he heard the words that we have that we're just going to look at in a minute. The Lord the Lord God, merciful and gracious, and so on, revealing to us something of the character of God as God of covenant mercy and covenant holiness in Christ. What was it that Moses saw? Well, he, what he, he heard, the glory of God's covenant mercy. We'll come back to that, I hope. But accompanied with that, an awareness, not a seeing of, an awareness of the divinity of God. And the effect that it had upon him was that he he worshipped God. He fell on his face, as it were, and he worshipped God. Something then of the partialness of that worship, he did not see the essence. And even when he saw the character of God, 
in the words that were spoken. He did not, he, he saw them, they were, there was a perfection in degree there. Sorry, a perfection in essence there, but not in degree. Not a completeness as it would be in the New Testament. Look at how you find Moses along with Elias upon uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. And what is that? What is it they want? They're talking about the decease that was to be accomplished in Jerusalem. They had been told already. He, Moses had already had, had a vision of the glory of God's character, His covenant mercy. But oh, he needed to know more in the, in the incarnation of the Son of God and the purpose for that incarnation. It was there in the decease that was to be accomplished in Jerusalem that the covenant mercy was to be brought into effect. Partially. And we are we are more, we today, the exercise believer, is more privileged even than Moses because we have that. We behold the face of God, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So it was partial to him even in the character, but it was partial to him particularly in, his, in the essence. He could not see the essence. No man can see that essence and live but the awareness was given to him, and he worshipped. Partial. Notice also the revelation that was given to him was of a verbal, was of a verbal nature, rather than of a physical or visionary nature. It's the words that we have that we'll look at in a minute given in words the word of truth the gospel it's in the gospel it's in the word of truth that God particularly reveals something of his own glory to us look at how you find that uh, how Peter refers to that. He had been on the Mount of Transfiguration with John and James, and they had had a glimpse in vision, I believe, of the glory of Christ there. But in comparison with that vision, the Word of God was more, more, much more. We have this word of prophecy, he says, This word of prophecy was more full than even that vision that was given to him of the glory of God, the glory of Christ in the Mount of Transfiguration. The word, it's in the word that we find the glory of God being revealed to us. You find that again, you find it, remember the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus and how the the rich man in, 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 in a lost eternity wanted to send 
some um, representation to his brother still on earth of uh, what was what was there. Give them a, a vision of it in some way. And they were told they have Moses and they have the truth is the effect of it. They have Moses and the prophets. The word of God is what it's there that they are to find what is what is what the warning that is set before us of our lost eternity. It's there that we find the truth concerning the salvation to a glorious heaven. The word. See. Tend to the scriptures, Christ said. These are they that testify of me. It's to the word that we must come. It's there that we must come rather than in any visions or dreams or physical natures of any kind. It's the word of God. And as we have been hinting all along, these words, um, the revelation was centered upon the redemption, the redemptive purposes, the covenant purposes of God in Christ. The words that were spoken, I'm not going to look at them all today with you, but particularly at the beginning it notes of gracious and mercy, grace and mercy. Grace is the Lord bestowing upon us what we do not deserve, and mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve. The whole, all these words that were spoken, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and so on, Speaking of God's covenant kindness to hell-deserving sinners. That was the message, the glorious message of salvation at great cost, sparing not his own son, in order to set freely before us salvation full and free. Well, that's a little concerning the response of God to him. Show me thy glory. He was shown something of the preparation that was necessary before he could receive it. He was shown something of the partialness of it. He was shown something of the verbal nature of this revelation, the word of God. It was centered on the covenantal and redemptive purposes of God, which would be shown more fully in Christ in the New Testament. It was given to him perfect in its essence, but not in its degree, and I think I've touched on that. And very briefly, the revelation of God's glory given in the New Testament. 
and we could spend a whole day on this and maybe a whole eternity on this. Given in the incarnation was shown to Moses the covenant measure but wasn't shown to him the how it was to be effected. Effected it must have been a wonder to the Moses there in the mountain the incarnation, God taking human nature into union with his own passion. God, as it were, hiding himself within human nature in order to reveal himself more fully to us in his covenant mercy. So that John could say, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The grace and the truth of God, particularly there in the reincarnation. You come to the, the atonement, because that is the purpose of the incarnation, that he should give himself a ransom in the Roman place of hell-deserving sinners, particularly in the cross of Calvary. And there we see the heart of God's love, I can put it like that. God's holy love is revealed to us in Christ. We behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, his grace and truth, his love, his holy love, his holy love. Never forget the love is holy must meet all the requirements of his holiness. We must be found leaning upon the one who is righteous, that his righteousness should be imputed to us and imparted to us. But that is it in, in, in a couple of words, in the incarnation and particularly in the atonement. And again, in a couple of words, because words cannot reach the glory that is to be revealed to his people in the hereafter. We shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. You see, even when we have, even in the New Testament, as we know, the glory of his grace and truth and the glory of his holy love shown to us in the incarnation and in the atonement. But nevertheless, there are clouds, aren't there, that sin brings into our experience when we lose sight of that which we desire to have all the time. But in the hereafter, in the glory that is hereafter, there will be no clouds. Nothing will besmirch. Nothing will stand in the way of the enjoyment of that glory. Hereafter, we won't ever see, we will never cease to be the creatures, and God will never cease to be God. We shall not see him in his essence, but the glory of his glory, the, gl the glory of his glory, will be made more fully manifest to us.
in the hereafter. I can't go into it, and neither can anyone else. But uh, this, this is the desire of the believer, to see him as he is and to be like him. Every thought, every emotion will be captive to that glory there. And there will be the enjoyment of that, uh, that captivity of our souls. The enjoyment that accrues from that captivity. Rising up into a holy rapture. Heightened and perpetuated forever and ever. All to be in Christ. All to be among his people. As Moses was. Seeing something of that glory and desiring to see more and more of it that I thy power may behold and brightness of thy face as I have seen thee heretofore within thy holy place since better is thy love than life my lips thee praise shall show let us pray Gracious God, we know that when we handle these holy things, it becomes us to tremble before Thee, lest we do so in any manner that would fall short of um, that creaturely worship that is our due to thee, the high and the lofty one inhabiting eternity. But we praise thee that this is what thou hast shown us, something of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We thank thee for the effectiveness of that finished work of Calvary's cross. We thank thee for the sufficiency and suitability of the blood-bought grace that is there, that we might come in prayer. The prayer even that thou hast taught us, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Help us to sing our parting song to the glory and honour of thy great and holy name. Take away all iniquity. Receive us in Christ. Amen. We conclude singing in Psalm 17. From verse 13, Arise and disappoint my foe, and cast him down, O Lord, my soul save from the wicked man, the man which is thy sword, from men which are thy hand, O Lord, 
from worldly men me save, which only in this present life their part and portion have, whose belly with their measure with with thy with thy measure hid thou fillest, their children have in plenty, of their goods the rest they to their children leave, the glory of this world is what many seek. But the psalmist and the exercised believer will say, But as for me, I thine own face in righteousness will see, and with thy likeness when I wake, I satisfied shall be. These verses to God's praise arise and disappoint my foe. Union and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, rest on and remain with.